name is Tom Cello. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, and that right there was Andrew Mayer, who posts as Andrew Mayer. Uh, and uh, just uh, this is the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the games that matter to them. Uh, so, Andrew, I'm sorry, I, I cut off your hello. Hello back to you. Uh, sorry, I can I put your hello as a hello to me, which is ridiculous. But, uh, oh, yeah, I had to say hello to everyone else first, because <laughs> they're hello all... Everyone. I'll say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. <laughs> now, it's good uh, to finally talk to you. <laughs> now, by the way, we should we should specify there are on the forum, I think there are 37 people on the forum with the name Andrew Mayer. So it's a little right. confusing. Actually, some of them are just Andrew M's. Uh, we have an Andrew Mayer. Name brothers, as I like to call them. Yeah, and do you have you ever met or do you know any of them? Not personally, no. And you know, but it is amusing. It was, it's le- you know less so now, but it was amusing when uh, when people would confuse us because, especially in the politics forum, right? Because people have slightly different points of view. And is this something that uh, you go through life with, or is this just a quarter to three thing? Like when you are there, Andrew Mayers everywhere you go. No, uh-uh. it's not. And and uh, and I'm M A Y E R, which is a little bit more um, unique as well, but. You know, I'm the Andrew Mayer with the 15,000 posts or 16,000 posts. So. Oh, actually, that's a good question. Are you the Andrew M with the highest post count? Is that true? I've got to be. I think I have. Somebody told me I have the sixth highest post count on the forum or something like that. Oh. That might not be true. Wow. Well, congratulations. Okay. <laughs> well, you, I'm, glad, I'm glad to have you here. So uh, now before we get a bit into what game you want to talk about, and oh, I cannot wait to get into this. Uh, <laughs> we can talk about a variety of titles, but sure. Yeah, well, this one, I, I, you just, you're gonna deserve some great. Well, let me, let me throw this out there. So, I don't know okay. if you know about this. Uh, there's this thing called Facebook. Do you know, do you know what this is? I, I've heard of it. It's a social, something social. People get on it from all over the world. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> a way to look up all the chicks you went to high school with and see what guys they married who are even dorkier than you. Like that, that's right. sort of, that's, that's what I'm getting out of this phase that I'm in Facebook. So on Facebook. You recently were gracious enough to accept my friend's request. And I see that on Facebook, you list <laughs> as your title, and i got to say, this makes me want to like kick you in the shin. Uh, <laughs> you are, uh, so, I think it says, like, social games consultant. Right, and, and I believe, and user experience. Social games and user experience consultant, I believe is the title. Okay, holy cats, what does that mean? Um, so, gosh, it means that I work with companies, uh, with game companies to help them implement uh, social game designs and strategies. And that's a few more buzzwords layered on top there. But basically, I work with companies to help them either evaluate or design or develop social games mm-hmm. for Facebook, games and, that people on Facebook. And this is something that you do for, for a living, I take it. This is your job. It is. This is what I've been doing for the last year. About Well, it'll be, thir- yeah, a little bit over a year. I started in September of... 2008. So now, before we get specifically into that, I, I want to go a little bit into your background. You, you, uh, you've occasionally on the forum said something that I'll read and I'll think, "Wow, this guy is like really smart." You know, he he knows what he's talking about. I want to play the kinds of games that this guy makes. And then I look up what games you've made, and it's stuff like like dogs and whatnot. Like, is that right. is that what's going on with your background that you're not a guy like uh, like I know you know Ken Levine. Uh, you know, there, there, there are people who, you know, like Will Wright also says very smart things, and he's made famous mm-hmm. games. What's going on with your background that a guy as clever as you, and I hope this doesn't sound condescending, but that you've made a lot of sort of casual games that guys like me don't know that well? 
Right. Well, um, I mean, one thing was is that I started, it, you know, part of it is Providence, I guess. I mean, I started in games doing dogs at PF Magic, so my first, which is a company very long gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first game was sort of, you know, what I called a mainstream, you know, what I call mainstream games. I mean, it, it had more than a million players, and it, you know, got into women's magazines and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, at the time, I mean, this was like the early 90s. I was, huh. mid-90s, let's say. I was, uh, you know, really excited about making core games and making hardcore stuff and shooters and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my career just kept diving into weird directions. And actually, I worked for Psygnosis uh, when they had a U.S. studio for about a year and a half, two years. Um, and that was as close as I ever came. I was working on a first-person shooter that we were building an engine from the ground up. It was going to be awesome. And uh, the studio was through a story that I'm not going to tell here, but is interesting nonetheless. Uh, the studio got shut down by Sony, and I went off to work in kids' games because that was like a lot of my background. And uh, I got lucky enough to be a, a creative director at Cartoon Network in 2000-2001, and that really sort of set me going um, into what eventually, you know, into casual. And then, so, like, I had this vision, like, millions of people can play games. We can make games for mainstream audiences. And I've been sort of, you know, in my own way chasing that vision for the last 10 years or so. And do you think of yourself as a core gamer? Do you think of yourself as the kind of guy who plays the games that you, uh, is that, is that your bag? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just finished, uh, Assassin's Creed 2 and, you know, played Batman and, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a PC gamer. I mean, you know, uh, as much as, I mean, I used to be. I used to, you know, I mean, I bought a, I used to play Wing Commander and, you know, Master, um, you know, um, I don't know, R, you know, RTSs and all that kind of stuff. And then the last few years, it's really been mostly um, console gaming. And I've been, I've really enjoyed, like, a lot of the stuff that's on the console. But, like, you know, it, it, part of it is just that games are hard to make and it's <laughs> hard to be. Um, and it's hard to stay in game development for that long and not uh, start to get burned out. You know, I, I, and, I, and I, honestly, I, you know, I did a Wii game and and I did the Zoro game for the Wii in 2007. I think it came out in the U.S. last year. So it's not like I haven't done anything. Um, you know, I was a designer on that, and uh, it's it's the world's. Oh, I shouldn't say that. It, it's it's a not as exciting version of the type of thing they tried to do in Assassin's Creed. You know, you, have, you, you fight multiple characters simultaneously. But you know, imagine that on one-tenth the budget, and you'll get an idea of where it <laughs> ended up. So. Well, and I also don't mean that necessarily. Like, I, I am certainly outside of game development myself, uh, right. but I feel like I, I have a good sense for it, and I can talk about it. And uh, So I don't feel that that impacts... Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to impugn your your credibility in in any way sure sure no i you know and 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 uh i it's funny i had somebody i had made a comment on a in a gamma sutra article on social games the other day and somebody was like you should really try core games you might be surprised and it was like yeah after 17 years i've got a pretty good idea of what they're about but you know thanks <laughs> well and in a way aren't you i mean you're here's kind of what i think of as well i met the guys at uh, toys for bob who they uh-huh. go all the way back to Archon and Star Control. Uh, Paul Ritchie, right, that, those guys. Exactly, right. And yep. uh, I met them when they were doing a, a Madagascar game. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a licensed thing, and I, you know, I'm sure it wasn't very good. Well, I'm sure it wasn't up to the kinds of things they used to do. But I remember right. talking to them, uh, and, and they had this clear sense that, look, those were the things we liked to play. 
but what we're doing now is making practical business decisions. You know, we're trying to right. run a studio, and there's a very there, it's you know being a core gamer and and loving core games isn't necessarily the wisest business thing to do. So in a way, where you are now on the cusp of this this horrible horrible social gaming thing, which we'll get into right. in a minute, right. uh, I, I can imagine you you must have the last laugh uh, in a, in a way. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, and I think it's, I mean, we, and again, as we get in, you know, I talked to, I've talked, I've, I've given, I've done speaking gigs at Bioware and 2K this year, last year, and, uh, and, you know, both those places are pretty, you can't really get more than, more core than those kind of places, but they see the writing on the wall. I mean, there is a, there's a tidal wave. I mean, it's, you know, and it's the kind of thing that people are going to, I mean, I, I know what the, the shape of it on the, on the forums are going to be. Because it's going to be no, no, no. You know, it's the, you know, it's going to be no, no, no. It's it can't be, it can't be. And then sort of sad resignation, and then eventually excitement as the, you know, as the as the mm. practical. I don't start. know about that third step. I'll go with the no, 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 and the resignation. And, and you're about to get a little bit of that from me. But excitement, right. I, I don't know, Andrew. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody. You know, one day we'll all be happy with our horse armor. That's all I have to say. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know. I, I think there's a bigger picture coming, and you know, social gaming is the start of it. And I, and and you know, it's going to be frightening. And you know, obviously, there's certain people. Uh, I don't know. Should I name particular names as we go through this or not? Um, yeah, you were you were more than happy to to bring out wit, whatever vendettas you like. <laughs> oh no, it's not even a vendetta. You know, but like like it's the kind of thing that Klipsky and I end up arguing about all the time. Ah, right, and, right. And, and uh, you know, he's very you know, and I understand this. And, you know, listen, I I have this conversation with a lot of people that you know, it is sad that. A certain type of game that we love is having a hard time surviving in the modern in the modern environment, you know. And I think a lot of people want it to be piracy, but I don't think it's just piracy that's causing the problem. I think it's a you know that's a symptom and it and it shows some weaknesses, but it's not it's not just it's not the only reason that it's happening. Let's put it that way. Before we get into that, and we'll dive into that in a minute, I want to talk mm-hmm. a bit more. So you also uh, you, I, you you read a lot, I presume, and you write a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You mentioned to me that you are about to start a class with a comic book fellow whose name I think a lot of people will recognize. I have no idea who he is. Um, so, so tell me, tell me, yeah, what, what's the? Uh, I, you know what? We, real quick, before you say the name, when you yeah. said the name, the only thing I could think of was the fellow from that HBO series Dream On, uh, Brian Benben. Uh, right. And I don't think Brian, that, that's who. Brian Bendis. In fact, he um, Brian Michael Bendis. He's actually. I mean, he's big. He's a Marvel guy. He's kind of he kind of rerouted the whole Marvel universe that really is being mined for the cinema, the the movie stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of revitalized Spider-Man. He did a he did a Spider-Man spinoff comic in the and starting in 2000 that was sort of an alt, you know, alternate reality, right? Like it it, it was its own. He it was a reboot, right? That was outside of the normal continuity of Marvel comics, and so. Um, you know, he does, and he's just, he writes, um, you know, real, he's figured out how to make character driven, cinematic style storytelling work in comic books, um, in a way, I think, and that really sort of changed the way comics were in the last decade. So I'm really excited about the fact that I'm going to get to take a class with him, uh, here. He lives in Portland. Portland's sort of a hub for comic writers now. It's sort of become a, a lot of people either are here or are moving here or have moved here over the last couple of years. Why is so, that? Is there a, is there a reason for that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same reason I came here, which is uh, cost of living versus quality of life, <laughs> okay. right? And and if you have a if you if you have a job where your where your income isn't tied to your location, it's silly to live in San Francisco, Los Angeles, or New York. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if you know if these guys have an income that's that's uh, that's not related to um, that's not related to location, and that was sort of for me. You know, I really I I'm you know I 
decided to become a contractor and um, or consultant really. And uh, you know, I felt like Portland would be a better hub for me than than the Bay Area. So. And are you have you been a comic book guy all along? Is this something new for you? Um, in terms of reading, yeah, I mean, I've start, I mean, I've been reading comics since I was seven or something like that. And you know, I what happened is a lot of my friends were either comic book writers or had were involved in the scene, and I was looking to get back into writing. I hadn't done it for a while, and I thought, oh yeah, here's a way I can break in, and because uh, I know so many people. But it turns out, you know, it's 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 a it's a lot of work and it's slow. You know, I mean, I think I've been working on it for four or five years now, and. I've had one thing published by Dark Horse, and um, you know I'm just keeping on, keeping on. I have I have a I wrote a novel, and that's actually sitting with an editor at a at a um, place that will not be named. But you know I don't know. Will they take it? I don't know. So now, when you, know, you talk just... about wanting to write comic books, obviously mm-hmm. in the past you've written prose. Uh, mm-hmm. Your novels obviously prose. What is it that makes you want to write in in that medium? Um, I think that the fun thing about comics is that you know it's a collaborative. It's, it's, it has a lot of stuff I liked about making games. It's a visual collaborative medium. So you know it's not just you, right? You have an artist that you're working with, and you know you're writing a script. So you're trying to break down the material in a way that the artist can understand and express the things that you want to express, but you don't have full control of that process, right? You're you're writing a script for them, and um, and it's faster. I mean, you can tell story. You know, it's the amount of work it takes to write. Uh, to write a scene in prose or to write a to write a sequence in prose and to do the same thing in comics it's just it's just you know an order of magnitude less to do this to convey the same information how so, long did it take you to do your novel i'd say nine 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 ten months something like that i mean that was a little slow because i was just getting into it i could probably be faster now i think but uh you know between research which i mean you still have to do for comics right but between research and writing and editing and prepping the man you know it's not done i mean if somebody takes it there's a whole i mean there's a whole other step that has to occur with galleys and editing and you know all that kind of stuff so it's not over yet <laughs> and is there uh i realize this is a tough question probably to answer but is there any answer if i were to ask what sort of things do you write about mm-hmm. um i'm a genre guy okay. you know like i like science fiction and fantasy stuff um, and most of my stuff is uh, more, well, what they call urban fantasy now, which I think, you know, some of that is urban, some of it's urban fantasy, some of it is, um, some of it's more sci-fi, and then everything is sort of, I sort of taught myself a lot of writing stuff based on noir film recently, so um, I really like character-driven, you know, noir noir-style storytelling, and my interpretation of that is probably a lot more broad than a lot of people. Like, I think that uh, the Sergio Leone uh, westerns are pretty, what I would call sort of a noir genre western. Sure. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I sort of try to keep, that's great for comics especially, right, where you really want to have, you know, really visual, really visually driven Character-oriented storytelling. So, and when you say urban fantasy, like, is that something like Sin City? Is that I? In, I'm coming from a very layman's perspective here. Um, Sin City would probably be. I don't know. Sin City is really crime. What they call, you know, I don't know. So that's such a crazy thing to pick, right? Because it's 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 got like some superhero elements. I mean, it's more. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, unfortunately, Twilight is is urban fantasy. Um, but uh, Twilight, you know, the vampire sort of, books for girls. Yeah, anything, anything <laughs> you sort of have fan, fantasy elements, classic fantasy elements mixed in a modern day storytelling. 
Okay. Uh, but I've done some straight up. I, I've done some straight up sci-fi stuff, and I mean, I have probably about ten pitches floating around right now of all different types. And you know, I think the trick is when you start working with different editors and they start asking for different stuff. And then I have a piece of. There's an artist uh, actually who worked with um, who worked with Gary Witta uh, on who did the art. The guy who did the art for um, for uh, oh God, what's the, what's the comic called? Uh, I'm not going to be able to help you. I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, he did. He, he Gary and, and Ted Nafee did a comic book together, uh, Death Junior, based on the video game. Oh right, and, right. I actually uh, knew that. Okay, yeah. And Ted and I have worked. Ted and I have a pitch that we did together. And Ted and I are friends, so that was also one of the reasons I got in. So um, he and I have been pitching some stuff. And actually, that was set up at uh, that was set up at uh, at Top Cow, which is a pretty big publisher. But unfortunately, the economy kind of got us got us canceled. So it has been a Interesting ride, and you know the lesson that I've learned from everyone who I know who is successful is you just have to keep punching until you punch through. Mm-hmm. So that's and, where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, is, as far as uh, your social gaming consultancy, has that mm-hmm. have you seen any impact on that from the economy? Is that going well? Is yeah, that- I mean it's huge. I mean the economy, the economy. I mean the thing is, is it's it's the you know it's the opposite, right? It's the it's the monopoly thing where. Um, because people aren't, aren't able to afford high ticket items, they're spending more money on these on these low cost entertainment, right? So, I think part of the reason we've seen, I mean, part of the reason we've seen such huge growth is that Facebook has been growing, right? I mean, 350, no, 600 million. I mean, I don't even know what the numbers are anymore. It's like 600 million users worldwide or something. And uh, and so obviously there's lots of room to grow. So yeah, I mean, if anything, it's been a positive impact, not a negative one. Now, can you say you you mentioned this before? I wouldn't, I, so I presume it's okay to bring up. Can you say why places like 2K and Bioware, who we think of as traditionally making core games, why do they have a fellow like you come out and talk to them about uh, social gaming? Well, I mean, I think part of it is, I mean, and you know, I, I, it's not a big secret, right? I mean, I think part of it is is the business model for for box games is terrible. Um, you know, it's I mean, if you really look at if you look at the, I mean, it's better now. But if you look at, but it's also the, it's a bigger topic. The, it's better now than it used to be because you have a better, more direct relationship with the user. But the problem is, you know, you, you do all this work in a vacuum. You ship it off to to a player, and then you have no idea, right? You could you could have spent thirty million dollars, and nobody's going to play that title, right? I mean, and the advantage I think to the social game model, even for these core game people, is that you can release. A, you don't have to release the product in the same. You know, you release, you can release the product. Um, what would what we consider earlier, right? You can you can get a smaller amount of content out there and then start giving the player add-on content, right? I mean, look at uh, Nazi Zombies for for the um, for the Call of Duty for Call of Duty World at War, right? Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, what would that be like as a standalone product? Um, that starts to make some sense in terms of the context of the way the social games business model works, right? Smaller initial content. Let's see how the users react to it. Take the information that, that the users um, give you, and then start to give them content in smaller bites that they can buy and play and and give you feedback for. So you know you're giving them what they want, right? And so you don't end up with these same kind of crazy expenditures. And you know, for a company like I mean, a company like Bioware, I think. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, they've got these big investment games. They want to have some other... But at the same time, right, they're putting out downloadable content and and stuff like that as well. So that's part of it. Part of it's helping educate them on the business model and where things are going. And part of it is they're just interested in reaching a new audience. I mean, 60 million users... You know, Farmville has 60 million users or had. And that's a new number. That's a number we have. You know, these are numbers bigger than television audiences. 
Now, how is it that uh, for, I guess part of it is that this is a new model. It's still uh, very young in ways. But how is it that someone gets to be an authority or a consultant on something this young? Right. Step one, step up and say that you are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and then step two, I mean, you know, like I'd say, how, you know, having the experience in the industry, I mean, it, for me, part of it is, I mean, I think a big part of it for me is I got, you know, I was at Cartoon Network in 2000, 2001. And, you know, I got, I mean, just to give an, you know, the budget for these things was like we had, an, you know, $80 million to play with in one year. And, you know, that, you know, it's, it's a very expensive way to live in the future. And, and, you know, I got to do a lot of things there with that kind of money that you really didn't see people doing for another seven or eight years after after I left. In fact, you know, one of my problems was I was so high. I mean, I think we all came out of the a lot of people came out of the dot com implosion with this problem is we were all so hyped about the possibilities that it was kind of hard to come back down to earth again. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I think that was part of it as well. And part of it is just, you know. I mean, I got lucky. I, w I worked for Zynga last year for a couple of months, and I got a lot. I got a quick education. It was something that I had been waiting to have, have happen, and I dived in and started, you know, writing the articles, doing the research, and talking to people right away. So, you know, and of course, with something this young, it, you know, it, how much experience do you need? You know, it's, it, it's sure you're doing it for three months. You're an old man in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll change. That's going to change this year. But you know, that that was true last year. I mean, there's a lot of excitement and. And uh, stuff driving up, driving along that way. So before we jump into the game you want to talk about, which will get a little deeper into this this model, I want to ask you, you were the one, I'm pretty sure it was you, that said games are the art of enjoyable frustration. Is that yours? That is me. That was me. Do you know how awesome that is? <laughs> well, I mean, I just think when people talk about, you, you know, I've, I've, I've been like a grumpy old man when people, people talk about how games are fun, and I, I just hate that right. word, and... And then there are discussions about games are too hard or too challenging. I, I just think that is that's almost poetic in that it's the perfect pairing of two words to describe what games have to do. You know what what right. the balancing act is. Uh, wh where did that? Is that something that you've been like saying all along, or did that come to you one night as you were falling asleep? Where did that come from? That's so lovely. I mean, the first thought I have is one your your rule about not calling them fun was actually an interesting challenge to me. I and and then. Uh, Raf Koster's theory of fun also was, you know, like there was some stuff in there that he was saying that I just wanted to be able to put my finger on in a more succinct way. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of what I came up with. So I think it was a, com you know, I I don't know, I guess that was around, what year was that? Two, the mid-2000s? Mid so, you know, between what you had sort of said there, and, and I like that. I liked not calling them fun because I think it's easy to shorthand stuff, um, you know, and, you know, you always have executives going, you know, can't this be more fun? It's like, <laughs> God, you know, can I tear my hair out? I mean, what do you, you know, it just, it's, it's important to have meaning, right, in these kind of, in these kind of contexts. So, um, and, you know, yeah, I don't think people get, and, you know, you, it's something that users don't understand, right? Like, 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 you know, players, right? If you, if you, if you, once you've been in this, doing this, as it's, once you start telling people you're a game designer, you inevitably get people pitching you game concepts, right? Mm -hmm. And they're always, 90% of the time, they're, you know, the guys who have no idea what they're really do, doing except they have this vague idea of getting into games are pitching you stories, right? <laughs> and, and they don't realize that they have, it has no gameplay. They have, they, you know, all they're doing is pitching some dream story they have or, you know, some alternate version of, um, you know, some alternate version of some game they liked, right? Like, you know, this is, okay, this is Duke Nukem in 
you know, in sci-fi, in genuine sci-fi clothing. And, you know, it, and so, like, you know, the idea is, you know, the guys who get it are the guys who understand that you have to put roadblocks in front of the users and make it fun for them to get around them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's sort of where it came from. But, yeah, I'll give you credit on that. I think, I think you know, that was that – it was good. I mean, actually, I actually stopped using the word fun. I mean, this is one of the first things, I think, when I got there. I don't know when I got there, 2002. I mean – it's one of the first things on QT3. I just stopped using fun to describe games. And then Coster came out with Theory of Fun, right? So that was sort of, that was sort of the, it was sort of both sides at the same time, right? It was like, it's, here's fun, but okay, I'm going to tell you what it means. We're going to, we're going to create some terms for it. You know, just now hearing you talk about that and hearing you talk about the way people pitch games, it occurs to me that probably my aversion to the word fun, I think might come from the fact that, uh, I, I used to do theater. I used to be like an actor and be involved in theater. And if I had a nickel for every time I was working with some director who couldn't express, who couldn't sort of uh, transcend that, express to an actor what he wanted and would say something like, do it with more feeling or give me intent or, (laughs) you know, the the art of acting and working with a director is so often interpreting these words that mean absolutely nothing. (laughs) Right. So when you think about people trying to express gameplay and, and, and and trying to express fun, uh, they're just really, it, it's tough to verbalize that. It's tough to express that using words. Uh, so right, and it's tough to have a, I mean, the first step is, I mean, before you even try to get to expressing it with words is you have to have a self-awareness about your own experience. Yeah. Right. I mean, we used to have this thing. I, I stopped using this term because it just pissed too many people off, but I had this thing where I used to talk about um, directors versus, versus selectors, you know, and there's some people you work with who are genuinely visionary and have an idea in their head and they communicate to that to you and they're tr- they're crafting towards that idea and there's other people who's like give it to me in red give it to me in blue and give it to me in green and tell you which one to like right i like that i'm going to definitely be stealing that nice yeah and the selectors are the worst because you know it's, a, it's three times the work and the product is never as good right i mean it's like um, i had a friend who worked on on the on uh, Verhoeven's uh, Starship Troopers movie, he did. He did. Uh, I won't name names, but he worked on. He worked on CG uh, CG for that, and then he went to work on my on the My Favorite Martian movie as his next film. And you know the stories were just night and day. I mean Verhoeven knew what he wanted, right? right. And the Martian guy, like the movie, just went wildly over budget because every time they gave him something, he's like, oh, but okay, make it dance like this way, or do you know? Just it's, you know, so. There you go. <laughs> uh, that's also a, a luxury, I guess, that guys like us who don't necessarily work in that context. I mean, I, I'm so glad to not have to deal with that that sort of thing. Being a freelancer, and, uh, and I imagine you being a consultant, you uh, probably don't have to deal with a lot of that these days. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I changed. I, I just I, I reached a point after after doing it. Um, you know, also, I'm, you know, my I work for a lot of companies that don't exist anymore, and I felt like. And, you know, so there's, yeah, it, it, working in companies is, is can be frustrating in, in its own unique ways, and games are tough because, and this this like just goes back to sort of the, the business model stuff. I mean, you know, the problem we have also is, you know, you have publishers who are choking the life out of developers. I mean, that's why you don't see um, a lot of these, a lot of independent developers anymore like you used to, especially in, in core games. I mean, right. some of it's the cost of this stuff. And I, I get what why why it's happening, but... You know, it, it's just frustrating. It's, so it's frustrating, right, to be in that position where you have a vision and you want to execute on something you don't have. There's just too many forces conspiring against you to make it actually happen. I have no desire whatsoever from talking to guys like you and other folks in the business uh, to ever, ever go into game development. I mean, I, <laughs> I constantly get asked that by people on the outside who I explain, you know, I'm just a freelance writer. I, 
Yeah. I know a lot of people who moved in. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Aaron Loeb? Is that his name? Who, yeah, who was, yeah, that's right. Aaron uh, used yeah. to be an editor of mine, and now he's at Planet Moon. I guess he's still there. Yep. I don't know where, yeah. He's been there for quite a while. Yeah, I used to work, I worked with him. I, I wrote, I covered, uh, I covered G, um, covered E3 one year as a as a designer, and it was the, whatever year The Sims first came out, so that puts it back a, bit, a ways. And he was my editor, so yeah. Well, and <laughs> uh, Chet and Eric from Old Man Murray, you know, those guys went into game development. I just right. there there are certainly people that have found great niches. Like Valve would be a great place to work, but by and large, I just right. have as someone who's been on the outside looking in for so long. I do not want in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, look, your whole life is gone. I mean, that's the other thing too. Like, you know, it's not. You can't get away without committing to sixty hours, sixty hour to sixty eight hour weeks yeah. at least for a good portion of your life. And, you know, honestly, I'll say like that was never something I was that fond of doing either. <laughs> so, you know, I, I work much, much. I'll say this: I work much, much harder and more hours as a consultant out of my house than I did as a designer in a in a studio. So. But, like, if you're like me, though, the, the hours you work in your house, like, actually, I don't know, maybe you have a very different work ethic, but I work in a very sort of desultory manner, and then I'll work for five minutes, and then screw around for ten minutes, and then work for five minutes, and I'm not sure that I could get away with that sort of uh, erratic Can't. schedule in, in, in the context. Yeah, I mean, I have to learn, I'm lear- learning to focus has been my biggest challenge. I mean, I, I, it's good to hear that somebody can make a living doing that, because it's like it's sort of live in fear of. Of that, of that sort of fraction. I can't. If I get too fractionated, it just feels like the whole day has gone by and I've written a page. So. Yeah. <laughs> I know how that goes. And you know, clearly, I mean, you write a lot. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, this between the, and obviously the fidget thing is is fairly um, time consuming. I gather. So. It's like having a job, Andrew. I don't know what to end up with that. Oh, good lord! Every I want day. in. I want. If you ever want anybody to write anything on social games. Um, you know what? I definitely do. One of the so I don't I don't know. I, yeah, I guess I can say this. So when Fidget first started on Sci Fi Channel, I mean they'd been I'd been working for them. They had a print magazine, and I'd been doing their games coverage forever. And they'd constantly drop hints about we want to do a website about video games, and we want you to run it. And uh, the whole idea was that I was going to be I was going to be sort of an editor, and I would get to hire writers. Uh, right. That was the idea going up to even when they they picked a name and they had a launch date. And it was it was literally like a week or so before it launched that they decided, well, you know what, we're gonna have to scale back the budget. It's just you at this point. <laughs> but right. going in, my whole idea was I wanted to be able to hire guys like you to write articles, and because I, I, you know, having been in the business for so long, I have other writers who I'd love, and I would love to give them work, and I would love to give right. them format. And instead, I'm basically running a, a glorified blog, and I, I can't complain. I'm I'm happy with right. it. No, you've done a great job with it. I mean, you've actually and you've covered a lot of. I mean, I'm I'm always the breadth of what you managed to cover is is impressive. So, my only rule, and this is again why I'm I'm really grateful to get to do this, is as long as it's interesting to me, I write about it, and that's I, I consider that a luxury. Is uh, not having to do stuff that's just popular or. I, I don't always trust your reviews because I learned my lesson with Eve of Destruction that like while I can. Uh. Engage and understand why you like something. It doesn't mean that you and I have the same taste. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, I don't. Eve of Destruction is one of those games that I'm like, how could somebody not like Eve of Destruction? That game it's is irresistible. <laughs> I'm a. I mean, just to, I mean, it gives you some insight, right? I'm. I was like, you were like, this is better than Burnout. I'm like, no way. Is this better than <laughs> Burnout? Like so. No, I mean, you know, and I, sometimes you'll say you love stuff, and I'm like, okay, I know that's one of those games that I totally am. It's awesome that you love it, and it's great that you can express why you love it. And at the same time, I know that your review is also telling me that I would not, sure. love it, which is great. Like that's how I want to engage with reviewers, right? I, I'm much happier to understand 
what they love and don't love in a way that I can get what you know figure out what I want to play than than just to agree or disagree with somebody. Yeah, so. and I I love Andrew. I I suspect you the same way. I love a review that I don't disagree with that I don't agree with. I mean, it's one thing to read a review that's just like yeah yeah all that I agree with it. It's great. It's well written. But I love a well written review where I'm like I this guy is wrong. I don't. I don't agree with what he's saying, but he's got good points, and I, I just I love that kind of writing in terms of movies, games, whatever. Uh, right, you can engage with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So tell me a bit, what is the game that you want to talk about today? And we kind of fudged this down to one title. We can Did we? Okay, yeah. I think we're talking about Farmville, yeah? Oh, good Lord. And why on earth are we going to talk about Farmville? First of all, let me tell you, I don't even really know what Farmville is. I get invites <laughs> on Facebook. I get sure. People on Facebook sending me Farmville gifts, and I want to accept them because I don't want to be rude. But when I go to accept it, Facebook assumes I want to install and play Farmville, and I want no right. part of that. Right, uh, right. I mean, not the, the beautiful thing, of course, about installing it is, is you can install and you can equally ignore it once it's installed as you have. Like the funny thing is, they put you through this whole shrink, you know, click wrap process, right? And then there's fundamentally very little difference between whether you have or you haven't, unless you're playing the game. Yeah, but then don't I get counted towards one of those 60 million people playing Farmville? Well, actually, it's monthly average. So, so the number, the main number is what they call MAU, which is monthly average users. Okay. And that's actually based on play, right? So you won't be counted. I mean, you could be counted in for the first session, mm-hmm. but you know they're they're, look, they're looking to have people stick around. And this, so this, and you know, obviously, there's public numbers and private numbers. I mean, one one of the things generally about social games, right? And this and this is something. And this you're asking me what my expertise was coming in, was that with casual. We had the opportunity to get tremendous user metrics, right? Because we know that the users downloading the game right. um, are going to have access to the internet, and so um, you know we have the right to get all that. You know, we we're, we we ask, we tell them we're going to take all your data. So, you know, social games are even more so, right? Like they're just constantly g- generating this massive amount of metrics data based on user play and what they're playing and how they're doing it, and and so you know they they're not. Zing is not that interested in you if you're not going to play more than one session, right? They want they need your you know they want data from you. Zynga being the company that created Farmville, that's the company behind Farmville. Now, are they are companies? Because uh, one of the things I was curious about is the metric for success for these social games. Mm-hmm. Are, are companies open about the data? Like I know for MMOs, they tend to play it close to the vest, and there are a bunch of sort of elliptical ways that some people get this data. Are they more well, open with data about social gaming? So Facebook publishes a lot of that data, right? Like your monthly average users and your daily average users, they're publishing that data. So there's no way to keep that secret. Ah. Um, so that's so that's become sort of a point of pride now, right? Um, and Zynga, yeah, I mean, Zynga's a weird company. Yeah, they're a secret. Of, I mean, it's good for them, right? Because there's a lot of numbers, I think, that are more important. There's, you know, there's what... Uh, there's what one, one guy I was reading today was calling it vanity feedback, vanity... vanity um, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, the 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 um the idea that you can publish these great numbers about how many millions of users you have, but like really, that's not that actionable, right? In terms of a you know, in terms of a strategy, right? I mean, there's only so much you can do. I mean, you can so really, it's just chest thumping a lot of that stuff right now, and and uh, you know, and Zynga's really good at it. I mean, they they they're you know, those guys are a combination. They're all the guys who run that company have a lot of experience, and you know, some of them are old EA guys, and they you know, they sort of figured out how to. They saw an opportunity, which I, and they figured out how to bring the you know the EA magic quote unquote to to it and really turn it into something. And they're, you know, I don't know what they're valued at now, but they three hundred, five hundred million dollars, something like that. I mean, they they 
they, you know, they managed to really turn it into something worth that was worth something, and and they're the kings of the business, right? Um, now, now, Farmville is, if, if I'm not mistaken, the the most successful social game. Is that correct? Right, and it's a, and it's and it's and it's it's an absolute clone of a game that they did not invent. I mean, they there was a game. I mean, basically, these farming games started in China, and on some of the Chinese social boards, and far, and Farmville is a straight up clone of one of those games. And that game, the game itself, I think it was, uh, I'm going to say it was Farm Town, was <laughs> was was came out in the US and I think got to like 11 or 12 million. It didn't it didn't do the same kind of numbers at all. So It's actually called Farm Town. Oh, there's so many. And and you know, I and and I mean there's so many clones and some of them are more clone some of them are more clone pure clones than others. Some of them are, you know, have fundamental um fundamental differences. I mean, I'll tell you what Zynga did was is is create a very streamlined version of the game. I mean, the interface is good, the graphics are appealing. Um, they figured out a lot of the viral and social stuff, which is a big part of these games or has been a big part of these games is, is how, you know, the, all those invites you get, right? That's a big part of the way that these games work. And Facebook has been cracking down on a lot of that stuff. And so it's going to be an interesting year as a lot of these uh, viral tools start to dry up a little bit for these developers and it gets harder to communicate, you know, to bring in new users. So it's going to be a big, it's going to be a big difference. So we'll see a lot of differences this year, but, um, you know, the whole free-to-play model is, is out there, and it's going to keep growing on one level. And how old is, is Farmville? Uh, ten months, maybe? Eight Holy cats, it's know. not even a year old? No, it came out, I mean, it might just be getting around that point. Maybe less. Good I think Lord. it was actually May, June, something like that, yeah. Well, now wait, how I, is it then? What What is it about Farmville that a game so young gets so big so quickly? It's the, so you viral, those it's EA viral. guys. It's, it's the viral tools. Right, yeah. I mean, that's the whole business, right? Like, they can grow, I mean, they can grow 3 million, 5 million users a week if they get it working right, right? Because everything, all that um, viral stuff from, like, we've seen from, like, you know, viral videos, viral music, all that stuff we've seen from the last 10 years, like, this is all, like, the core of this business, right? Like, the way that they do the way that they do things is built around that. So, you know, the idea of gifting, the and, you know, there's there's dynamics, fewer now, but there's dynamics... You know, you I cannot achieve X unless I have Y users that I brought into the game, right? Right. Um, and and that, that, those are going away because the Facebook has changed their terms of service around what you can use do with that. But that was a big part of it. I mean, that's so we probably won't see growth that crazy next year. But it was heady times, right? Watching p- products grow at three to five million users a week. Now, why that's, is Facebook doing away with that model? Is it because it it hate the, money? <laughs> I was going to say, is it because it's damaging the user experience when then people are on Facebook, you know, bugging other people and pestering them to join their farm or their mafia or sorority or whatever? Is that I mean, why Facebook's opposed to it? Facebook is like one of those horrible dystopian paradises like Logan's Run, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, 70s. It's one of those, it's like the real world version of a 70s dystopian movie paradise, right? It's It's like a future, you know, it's like there's only one government. We all live in their world, and the government is is, benef- is beneficent or or you know um, totalitarian based on their own whims, and we don't often understand why they do what they do, right? <laughs> and 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 you know, but the only difference is we can't talk, you know. But but oh well, it's not even a difference. I mean, so and sometimes people can talk the computer into hurting itself, right? So so you know, like Captain Kirk or Logan's Run, not to spoil the end of Logan's Run for anyone who hasn't seen it, but but 
you know, the, the truth of it is like, you know, users will freak out or they'll feel like they're becoming vulnerable or, you know, they'll see like the FCC looming over them or, you know, and they're also Facebook is worldwide. Right. So they they have more than just America to worry about. So uh-huh. sometimes, you know, you know, so sometimes it's really just preemptively avoiding lawsuits and government um you know, government, they don't, you know, they don't, they, they're very, and Facebook is very, more so than any, almost any business I've seen, they're adverse to negative publicity, like even, even moral panics, they just don't want them to happen, right? So if they see like something that's going to come along and go, oh my God, they're going to, you know, a prosecutor in Kentucky is going to accuse us of soliciting prostitution, we're done, we're, we're out of there, right? right? You know, they, they, they get, they, they are, they don't, they don't, they're not Craigslist, right? They don't fight for that. So that's sort of I think that's a big part of it. Now tell me what what is Farmville like? Like what is I think of Farmville as Harvest Moon meets those Ikarium online city builders meets that viral stuff from Mafia Wars. Is 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 that Yeah, I mean with 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 you know like I mean the best way I describe it to core gamers is like the grindiest parts of the Korean MMOs. Right. Like if you stripped away everything else and it was just a grind, that would be the gameplay, right? Like you you have a hundred plots of land, and every day you come in and you click a hundred times, three times, once to clear the vegetables that have grown, once to reset the soil, and then once to plant things into that soil and start them growing again. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's pretty much the. I mean, that's the core gameplay. Are you building I mean, up dirty... a money score, or what? What's what yeah? So what happens is when you get right. So when you when you sell the plants, when the plants are grown, the the you get cash for that, right? And then so that's the fundamental. That's the fundamental. What I would call the fundamental user action, right? Is is just grinding that over and over again. But the plants you choose to plant have a lifespan. So it takes X hours or days for them to mature, right. and then you have a period usually equal to the time it took them to mature to reap them. So like if you don't come back, so if you plant something that takes three hours and you don't come back within six hours, when you come back it'll be dead and you'll have lost all the money it cost you to start growing it. So I often tell clients to think of it like an investment game, like like you know you are investing X dollars. The bet you're making is I can get back within a time period to 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 collect on that investment. And how does it help me to have other friends playing Farmville? What do I get from that? Well, initially, was it like initially, and this is sort of going away now. It was like you could only get access to certain objects or things you could buy because you had a certain number of friends, right? So the friends, like, like basically, instead of level, like, friend, like you know how you unlock things when you level up? Right. It, it was the equivalent. Things would stay behind a wall unless you had a certain number of friends available. And often they would be like, you can't have a farm larger than X without Y friends, right? With, with real cash, with, with, actu- with actual dollars always being a way to circumvent. Um, to circumvent ah, right, right. right. So you could always buy your way out of any limitation, right? And in fact, it's nice, right? Like, okay, you can't. You can either go get a lot of friends and work for us that way, or you can give us some cash, right? So you know, because now I don't. The weird thing to me, Andrew, is I don't see. I see how that works in an internal fiction like Mafia Wars, or I know there's a sorority one, there's a knight one with squires, uh, but I just don't understand how. And I guess it doesn't really matter, but I don't understand how that works in the context of uh, cute little. Harvest Moon. Uh, like what the fiction is the trap to run? Yeah, yeah. Are these your serfs? Are they people? Is it a... No, I mean, they really neighbors. Neighbors is the fiction. Neighbors. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so friendly. <laughs> <laughs> and these games are very positive. And, you know, there's no, there's no punishment. I mean, the, the thing is, 
You know, one thing I can say, like, you know, just again, trying to explain this to people who are looking at these games, like, what the hell is going on here, right? Like, one of the lessons from social games that, that and, and I'm about to give you the benefit of thousands and thousands of dollars worth of focus testing, so <laughs> so enjoy it. It, it, it um, you know, is that users, that what I call casual users or, 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 medic, or, you know, super casual users, right, which is what, what these kind of people are, they don't. The, like, like, well, let me let me back up a little. Like, gamers tend to deconstruct everything they play, right? So, because you're so busy min-maxing everything all the time, like, if a game dynamic doesn't have an impact on the game that you're playing, it makes you angry because you can immediately figure out that you're being screwed with. Right. Casual gamers like collection almost as much as they like the game themselves, the game itself. So, if they're collecting flowers, the flowers don't necessarily have to have an impact on the gameplay in order for them to feel like they're achieving something. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's a big part of it. Like, so, so you know, they they really don't care, and we learn this in casual. Like, like, you can just give like, oh, you're gonna get all ten color stars, and you're just like, oh my god, I only have nine. What do I have to do to get number ten? Like, you know, and and they'll they're never gonna feed back into the game. You know, getting the red star is going to give you nothing in game, right? But that doesn't make it any less powerful for a you know a large portion of those users in terms of how it in terms of how that works. Now, so. The- you know, these people are never going to want to play core games, are they? No, but you know, it's 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 no different than really achievements, right? I mean, it's you know, achievements don't often have have no in-game impact, so it's not completely foreign to the way that core gamers play. Right, right. Yeah, they're not going to turn into core gamers, which is a which is an argument I sigh. It's an argument that I've been having, and I, you know, an argument that I, I guess people are paying me to make, so I shouldn't be too sad about it, but. But, you know, I'm arguing that, yes, these people are going to turn into something as they become veteran players, but it will never be core gamers. Like, they're not going to have the scales from fall from their eyes and go, oh, what I really want to play was Arkham Asylum. Like, you know, you know, they just they don't care about those games and they're never going to care about those games. Do you think and, are there are there publishers trying to make that connection? Do you think that's a, a hope? Oh, yeah. OK, that's the dream. That's the dream. Right. That's the dream that I go out and smash on a regular basis. I mean, that seems silly to me, Andrew, because even I know that, and I, I'm no great shakes, but I, I you know, I... I'd be surprised. Really? So that, okay, so I guess yeah, people... Yeah, people are, really believe that the, that this audience is going to become more sophisticated and turn into essentially core gamers, and that they secretly... And this was a, G, a GDC, started at GDC last year, and, and you know, that the idea that, that this was just an aberration... No, what we were really doing was we were going to have all these guys turn into core gamers, and it was like, and they were going to realize and these games are stupid and and they're not, you know, valid on their own right. And really, we're just going to get back to core gaming, and everybody will be happy again. Right, but it seems and, like you know, such a completely different. Uh, I, I mean, you talk about enjoyable frustration. That doesn't seem like a factor of w- what these social games are. These social games are just the enjoyable part. Yeah, I mean, there, there. Well, there is frustration, right? There's always a desire of. The thing that I don't have that I want to get. Ah, a carrot. Right, right. Right. But it's much simpler. I mean, it's like there's no beatdown, right? There's no... Right. There's no... Uh, there's no backwards listen, movement or, or fail state or... Yeah. yeah. And listen, core games, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, I still... I mean, that whole post-Halo re regenerating shield thing, I mean, that is the most mass mark like and i think that was when, when i mean i think the first game i saw it in besides halo was king kong right like you get beat down and then everything flashes red and you go hide behind a bush and you're all better in five minutes or two minutes or a minute right right that is a massive casualization of core gaming like i i just i can't underestimate the impact that that's had in terms of making games more accessible and i love it like i'm very happy about it because it saves wear and tear on the reload button but like 
let's be honest. I mean, that's a that's a that is a that's a very casual dynamic that's been stuck right. In- See, you call that a casual dynamic. I think of that more as a realization that collecting and hunting for med kits is uh, is, and I'm, I'm going to break my rule here, but is as some people would say, not fun. Right. Uh, that right. the med kit model was basically tedium. Uh, and, and, and we're basically saying the same thing. I think we just want to use different yeah. words because I'm so reluctant to embrace casualization. Uh, well, I mean, but, but like, right, but look, I mean, the audience grew, the, the type, like you had a game like Halo where they wanted a larger audience, right? right? And, and yes, but some people loved that, right? I mean, you know, that was, I mean, it, 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 right, it comes down to a question of what's valid and what's not. Like, I don't want to, like, you know, you could argue both sides, right? But the, but the point is, like, um, that uh, that some things you know what is valid like why is that why is getting rid of that better than than getting rid of you know a certain way of doing damage or you know or a lot of other systems that we used to sort of take for granted I mean I just, I don't know you look at Doom and you look at these games and they were pretty punishing you know and and the punishment has definitely been brought down Pun- punishment level in games generally has been been brought down quite a bit right? I agree with you there yeah and that's and yeah I, I definitely and, but I don't think that has to go ahead I'm sorry. So, and that's increased the audience, I think. Right. And, and, but I don't think that that, I, I see that as very different from casualization. I, I mean, punishment, you can, you can have really good core games that are averse to punishing players that still don't appeal to a wider casual audience, I think. Um, sure, absolutely. I, I, I yeah, think I of think... casualization is much more of a, and here come my value judgments, but much huh? more sort of a polluting influence uh, <laughs> that really does tear things away from, from, gaming, whereas cutting out medkit hunts and, and you know hoarding medkits, uh, I see as serving core gamers and, and not necessarily disowning them. Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I guess the question is that has to be answered is what happens when you want to move beyond the three to five million people that make up that audience, right? I mean, I mean, the thing is, you know, and we live in a world where growth is is so important to success, right? I mean, that's capitalism, and and uh, you know, that's the problem. I mean, how do you break out of that? And especially, you know, and like, look, you know, this last generation of consoles, you know, is, is interesting. I think, I think in some way, in some ways, Microsoft is beating the Wii, not on pure numbers, but in terms of like figuring out what it is that the Wii actually did and bringing a lot of that to the Xbox and the end of that, the, the 360 at the end of its lifespan, right? And, and, and that's why I think my business is going to that, I mean, going back to that larger point, like that's why I think business is going to be good for me, because I think what we're learning in social is the fundamentals of these systems. And those are going to start coming back. And I think and, and one thing is for sure, like once the retail store is out of the equation, you're going to be playing a lot more games for free that you're going to be paying for content in pieces. Right. Like that, I think, is pretty clear. And and that's going to bring a lot of this social game stuff back to consoles and, and the way that we play these games. Now, when you say playing for free, are you talking about like micropayment models, that sort of thing? Yeah, like like right. I mean, I mean, or or virtual goods models, right? Like, right. I mean, that's that's what we're seeing already. I mean, like, I mean, Bioware did something really crazy, right? Which is that you go to the fire, the fire, and the guy says, "Oh yeah, well, I've got this quest for you. You know, give me five bucks." <laughs> right, and, and and that's wild in a game that you've already paid sixty dollars for, but you know, maybe not so crazy in a game. Where you know you can say okay the game is free and there's a couple of, want to start like going down these quest lines, you still have to start paying to to play that and you only really you know and I think a lot of users will say well it'd be great I can pay twenty dollars if I only want to play four of them and I can play a hundred dollars if I want to play you know twenty of them. Sure, sure. 
Uh, right. And that and that and that I think we're going to start to see more and more of. And, you know, it's going to change the way these things work and the way that people play them. And um, we'll see how that works. I mean, that's sort of getting off the idea of casualization. But but that's a big part of what's coming, I think. Well, here's so here's a question I have for you in terms of what's coming. Uh, a guy like me, I have no desire to to play Farmville, where the gameplay dynamics are sacrificed on the altar of this social networking. And I can understand the appeal, and I can see a lot of people doing it. Is there going to be stuff for guys like me who are more interested in uh, gameplay or, or even narrative? Right. Although that's maybe not. That's part a different of discussion. Let's, let's, yeah, I was let's, push, say that let's push the narrative discussion off because I think, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I get well. Let's just put gameplay. Yeah, right? yeah. No, there so are. No, I mean, the thing is, there are, and the problem is, is that nobody plays them. I mean, the problem is, is that the the core gamers are so spoiled. And right, look, I love you know, like why would I want a crappy version of a game I can have a really nice version of on Facebook, right? I mean, like, like you know, the first thing I say to people wanting to get into Facebook is, you know, realize that you are playing. I mean, just just think about it in terms of this way. Like, let's let's work backwards from a Facebook game. So, you're in a game in Facebook, inside of Facebook. So inside of a browser, on a desktop, inside of a computer. I may have missed a few steps there, but that's at least four <laughs> levels deep, right, um, to get to that game experience, right? And and that's crazy. Like, that's five, right? Facebook, yeah, game and Facebook and browser, whatever. So that's crazy. Like, why would a core gamer ever want to go to an experience that's been strained through that many layers? Right. You know, when you can go, when you can really have, you know, when, when the game on your on your Xbox 360 or even really on your PC is taking over your machine completely, which is what you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's, um, that's sort of how I look at that. I think, I think that, um, and, and they've tried, people have tried. I and mean, there's a couple titles I could give you. The, the problem is, is though that, that they're never as rich or interesting as the core game models. So the core gamers don't show up to play them and they're too complicated for the, for the casual gamers. So they don't play them either. Have you seen Uniwar by any chance on the iPhone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Uniwar, I when you talk about those layers, that's one one thing. I'm willing to sacrifice more detailed uh, turn-based strategy in a game like Uniwar, which is a very simple Advance Wars clone, because I have a little tiny handheld thing that I keep with me. I press one button on it, and it jumps into Uniwar, and I take my little turn, and then I put it away. Uh, it's that same sort of thing where I'm I'm willing to go with simpler gameplay because it's that much more accessible, and there aren't those layers like in Facebook. Uh, so that, that right, you pay, but you paid for it. You paid for it to get access to it, right? And then that gets back to the business model. Like, where is the money coming in? And Facebook really can't have that one and done kind of model right. that Unibor can, right? So that's so that's sort of a different thing there. Now, are all uh, of these is is all social gaming basically based on? And I imagine the answer isn't. Yes, but I don't know what the answer is. Is all social gaming based on Facebook? Like, where else does social gaming go? For for now, it is. I mean, that's a risky. That's the risky thing about it. I mean, it, it you know it is. I mean, it, it people are trying to push into general browser gaming, but um, you know, the, these it's a platform. It, yeah, it's the platform for social games right now. I mean, things have to change, but it's huge audience, right? I mean, there's mil, you know hundreds of million of millions of people on there, and you know, there's a, the, all the viral stuff is already built in. It's like, how do you move that audience around? I mean, just think about the work it takes just to get your your Xbox friends list, you know, your Xbox Live friends list right, the right. way you want it. I mean, that's those those kind of communities are hard to come by. I mean, that's why I do think that there's a lot of future for Xbox because I think Microsoft has really 
done a great, you know, we're locked in. Like, you know, that's a big sacrifice, right? I'm, I, you know, I that the people on my Xbox friends list has values to, value to me. Mm-hmm. Now, are right, there any I, social games on Xbox Live? Isn't there some sort of a city builder thing? I'm sure there are. I, you know, I haven't looked, haven't spent a lot of time. I'm sure there's some clones of it, and I'm sure there's some. I mean, I know that I know that Diner Dash is on. Just got like they keep pimping that on the on Xbox, and that you know that was my old company. I used to work for Play First. So is Diner Dash a social game? No, it's a casual game. Oh, okay. But you know, I'm sure that we'll see. I mean, the problem is people aren't going to really. I mean, I don't know. There's no reason to put them on there, right? You're never going to get the. There's just not enough people on there to make them work. Right. right. Why you make need, one for Xbox Live if you can just do one for Facebook? Right. And the problem is you need like this. You need a fairly big number of because you're you're playing percentages. You know, it's the old it's the old thing like, you know, like the old mass mailings used to be. Right. You'd have to you, if you got a one percent success rate, it was huge. And and you know that's really what we're looking at here is like if you can get one percent of your audience spending money, then you're making money. And, you know, it's still a percentages game. So I don't know if I don't know if Xbox is going to be. A good market for that. I mean, they, you know, I do think it'll become more social-like, but not, um, not the same. Now, what are some other models for social games? I know there's like there's a pet concept, like there's all these aquarium right. games and whatnot. Which the pets guy, you know, which I can, yeah, again, as the dogs guy, I can, I can get some, I have some expertise in. Yeah, so there's the artificial pet. There's the the farming games that, that we've talked about. There's the um, the restaurant games, Cafe World and Restaurant City, mm-hmm. um, where you run a little restaurant and you collect you you and and actually the Zynga version is very similar to Farmville, but a little bit more concentrated. Um, and then you have the what I call the X Wars game, which is all these sort of super light Hammurabi. Um, if you don't remember that game, Dope Wars style sure. RPG games, right. and and then. Um, I'm trying to think of the other big ones off the top of my head. Yeah, the aquarium games, which are very similar to the farm games and their dynamics. And then um, we're starting to see like more. There's some games that are so blindingly simple that it's almost hard to 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 understand what's going on as a gamer. Like you literally have this plot of land and you go visit your friend and it's like your friend has termites. Clean the land of termites. Buy, you know, termite killer. And you buy the termite killer and you hit the button, the termites are gone. Okay, go to your next friend and we'll tell you, you know, we're going to tell your friend that you cleaned the termites off. You know, and they're very... <laughs> but people like them. They're, they're sort of, you know, social time wasters. I mean, they, they have a lot of... Uh, they, there's one company I work with that make called Mob Science that makes quite a few of those games. And, and you know, I, I understand... And they're, they work. I mean, you know, they work, but they don't last long. I mean, it's not a, it's not a heavy... You know, the users play them for a couple, like a month or so, and then they're on, and they're on to the next thing. Now, you mentioned you'd, I, I uh, came across a list that I think was linked from your your blog of of the mm. most notable uh, social right. media of the year. Not necessarily the yep. best, or not necessarily the most successful, but uh, I, th- I think it was something like the maybe it was the most successful, but most important, yeah, most important, important social games on inside social games, yep. So, Just, looking down that list of games, there wasn't there was. there was basically nothing that I was the least bit interested in except right. for something. What on earth is Crazy Planets? So Crazy Planets, so there's this company, they got bought by EA this year. There's a company called Playfish. Mm-hmm. And uh, and um, they, you're a UK company, and their stuff is sort of the higher quality. Like if you're going to look for a higher quality experience, if you're looking for something that has a richer gameplay experience. Because this is what um, I want to ask you about. So yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, they are the company that's doing it, and they are the ones that got bought by EA this year. And, uh, and um Crazy Planets was their version of Worms, essentially. Single-player version of Worms. Mm-hmm. And you you would pick one of your friends 
um, and his face would appear in a little astronaut suit, and you would go to other planets and basically play a very low-key version of Worms where you go around this planet and you blow up these little robots with your with your guns, and the robots explode. And uh, and that was sort of a failure. It got to, I think, about 3 million users, maybe, at its height, but it didn't really last very long. And uh, and um, it was Is fun. It now? Do these, do these things close up and blow away? The only one that's closed that I know of that's on that list is um, is uh, Pogo Pets was the EA Pets game, um, and that's the only one that I know that they've because you know there's no cost for most. I mean, there's very minimal cost for most of these games. They just stop producing new content, and you know we'll see some of them go away this year, but they tend to leave them up. So that's still there. You can still go play it, mm-hmm. and uh, but you know without that feeling that there's more. I mean, without that, I mean. As much as it's, people say there's no gameplay here, right? If, if new content isn't coming, people c- tend to, to stop playing, right? There's got to be something that you're looking for, some um, end game that you're going for, right? right. So, now, some social currency. So, so the the million dollar question: mm-hmm. Do you actually play any of these? I do. I play a lot of them. I mean, Come of on, course I do. I mean, not not voluntarily though. You have to, right? Um, I really liked Cafe. I really liked Cafe World. Like like. You know, it's it's a different mind space, right? I mean, I really like Cafe World. Um, it was it was as a time as a social time waster. It was really fun. I mean, you go in every day, you do your dishes, you come back and you check and see what's done. Like I, I felt the metaphor was really solid in that one, and I and I enjoyed playing. I probably played that for more than a month, probably five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, Farmville, I played for a while, but you know, it's funny. I have a friend. He's a, I won't name names, but he's a big. He is a big. Um, guy over at Sega. He's a he's a a producer over at Sega. You gotta know who it and is. He, <laughs> you do. Okay. And he uh, played the sorry. hell out of he played the hell out of it, out of that game. Out of so, farm. Okay. Okay. So yeah. he's a poor guy, and he really loves Farmville. Yep. He loved it. I mean, he. I don't think he plays as much now, but he actually embarrassed me into playing it more. I mean, he. You know, and then some people do stuff like like I mean, just you know, some people do stuff that is you know, like they they make their farm look like something like, you know, they'll, they'll spell stuff out or they'll pick all the stuff of one color or they'll collect. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, you know, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of similarities in these games to what world of Warcraft did with their end game content. Right. You know, not the users who are just going to get to level 70 and stop playing, but the guys who are going to grind color sets, like there's a lot of similarity to, between the, the impetus for that and what's going on here, because, there's a lot of social value to people coming because you're driving people to other people's farms. They are seeing what you're doing, right? Ah, uh, right, right. So just as a WoW user is going to have a, per, you know, the guy who has this, I don't know what color they're on now, so we'll just go with purple set. We'll be very two years ago. One, once somebody has their purple set, right? Like there's a lot of social currency in walking around in a perfect set of armor that people know took a hundred hours to grind out, right? And that's very similar to the dynamics that are going on here for a lot of these users. You know, you know how behind the times I am, Andrew. I had no idea there there are people grinding for colored sets of armor in World of Warcraft, which I have been. I mean, that's the end game. That's a lot of the end game content, right? Like they go into the same dungeons over and over and over again, waiting for these high level drops to 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 go. And then they, if if they're the right person at the right time, they can get it. So they'll have to run these some of these um, instances, you know, dozens of times before they get it. I mean, I can understand that for some stat benefit, but I guess there are people. You know what? I guess if you're so invested in a game, of course you're going to be, you're going to care about the cosmetic stuff as well. But but right. these things and only people... have cosmetic uh, implications. Like there's no. No, no, they have in-game. Right? I mean, you, you have a, they, they're the most powerful armor in the game, but you don't look at some point. 
my wife played the hell out of World of Warcraft and she just got she just got disconnected from it like a week ago. And you know for people like you know I've watched her play and look I mean World of Warcraft is not even at the end game right at a certain level of power you don't need anything more right you're not really in any danger anymore right so unless you're doing a lot of PVP like there's there's really no da- you know there's no danger from the creatures in the world at the point that you're level 80 and you've been playing for a while so you know a lot of this stuff is really social currency it's really going around so that people can look at you and say oh my god that guy's got this set of armor and you know um they understand what, how much work it took to get that right i mean that's inherent sort of in the in the in the in that having that perfect set i guess like i'm thinking of isn't there like some special recon armor in halo that's the same kind of thing mm-hmm. right yeah. right and that's purely that's purely cosmetic right, right. that's yeah, you have to really grind that to get. It. Yeah, but you know, oh, then if there was a samurai armor in Halo Three, right? And then, and then, yeah, it was a tremendous amount of work. But somebody with a perfect set of samurai armor has spent a lot of time playing that game, and they're wearing it on their sleeve, literally, right? So. <laughs> uh, now, are there any of these social games that you are currently playing that someone on Facebook could join you in? Yeah, uh, Happy Island is, um, <laughs> God saying it's almost hilarious. Happy Island is uh, one that I've been playing a lot lately. It's, uh, that's one that I still sort of play daily right now. I'm waiting to see some new stuff come along. Um, I definitely, my Cafe World love is sort of minimized right now, but, uh, that's a good one. Um, I still play, uh, Island Paradise, which is David Kay's company, uh, Meteor Games. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. And that's an interesting one, because that, those are the guys that did, uh, those are the guys that did um, Neopets, and they really they they're big on beautiful content, right? So that that's a big part of their play, and it and it's and it's interesting game. And I'll show up on that one every so often. Okay. Um, those are the two right now. I probably I sort of shut a few down over Christmas, and um, I'll probably pick a few new ones up as the year goes as the year starts along. So. Are there are these things like like core games we know in advance what's coming, and they're they're marketed to us, and we hear about them, and then they come out. And we are, are, are social games like this. Like, do are there companies saying, "Hey, we've got this social game coming up. Look forward to game X." Is, is that they cross brand through their own games? Zynga, especially, will Zynga and Playdom will cross brand. So, like when they launch something new, they'll put a lot of advertising into their own titles. Ah, right, right. You know, um, and but there isn't a lot of. I mean, the thing is, you know, like anything. I mean, the thing about being a nerd, about mainstream versus nerd culture, is that mainstream play, people don't care about what's coming next, right? They like what they like. Right. And so, you know, like, I mean, you know, most people don't know what's coming beyond the previews they see at a movie they're already watching. Right. Right. And that's really more how this is. It's not, it's not that same culture of excitement about what's next, right? They're into what they're into, and then hopefully you can communicate to them what they should be playing next. Um, in time to get them before they go off and you know do crochet or whatever their next hobby is going to be. Those casual people are such losers. <laughs> there's there's so many of them. <laughs> there really are. Good <laughs> lord, what are we going to do about all of them? Uh, I mean, it's so like, you know, Twilight's a big you know Twilight's a big keystone <laughs> that I've been trying to unlock this year because it's you know I I can't admit that, I can't but admit that it's one of the most terrible films I've ever seen, and yet it's you know you have to kind of you know and and it yet it is so important right like it is clearly a mainstream phenomenon and and in a lot of ways so you you went to see that voluntarily i watched it with the rift tracks that's the only that's my buffer ah of protection. good okay well done <laughs> good saving 
Now, I am going to ask you a totally random question that has nothing to do with anything. This is okay. sort of uh, this is the quarter to three social game, by the way. Uh, okay. Because I ask you this random question, and anybody who answers it uh, according to the rule I'm about to give you will be entered into a drawing for a free game. So that's the reward. That's the carrot you're chasing is the free game. Okay. Uh, the question is. Uh, so if you if you answer this, it's going to be a thread in everything else. Now you don't go there, so you don't have to. I do sometimes. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm not I'm not adverse to it. So. Well, this will be a thread in everything else, and if you answer in this thread, be sure to include some sort of a blatant typographical error. Uh, it, it just has to really stand out, uh, and and don't correct it. So if you if you answer with a blatant typographical error in your post, you will be eligible for the drawing for a free game. And the question, so don't answer now, only answer online. No, 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 you have to answer now, Andrew. I'm going to hit you with this, okay. and we're going to, in real time, get your answer. Okay. <laughs> you won't okay. have to think about Got it. it. So we're talking about the difference between me and somebody listening to this. Exactly. Somebody listening, yeah. if you go in and you answer, and make sure to include a blatant typographical error in your answer, because other people will go in and they'll answer anyway, but they're not eligible. Uh, that's that's what makes this the sort of the social game. Is if you listen to the Got podcast, it. you have the clue to go into the thread. So the right, question is, is, ready? Yes. Yes. If you could be king of any country, which one would it be? Any country. Huh. And how what's correctness determined by? Or should just I should just Oh, I there's no just... correctness. There's no it's, okay. yeah, I'm just I'm just throwing this out. This is to to help people know uh Andrew Mayer a little better. If he could be mm-hmm. king of any country, what would it be? I'm just, you know, first answer out of my head is New Zealand. Whoa, why new cuz you want access to uh Weta, the the Special effects. <laughs> I've, actually, I, I've actually been there. Um, no, it. it um, I've actually visited Weta, which is fun. The, uh, you get to visit what? The, uh, what? How'd you get to do that? I had a buddy who I have a buddy who's been doing practical effects for as long as I've been doing games, and he worked on King Kong. So we were down there to visit some friends of ours who had moved there, and I got. To, and you know the cool thing about Weta is it's not Los Angeles. There's not a thousand people in 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 uh there who want to go see it every day right so if you can get if you can get your ass out to if you can get your ass out to to wellington you have a and you know somebody there they really don't mind you coming to take a look oh that's awesome and what was it like what, what sort of awesome it was like you get to see? the story i'll tell is is that i went in there and they have a room with all the swords and at this point they really had all the lord of the rings swords and all the narnia swords oh, right nice and i got to touch all the prop swords <laughs> right? leaving we're leaving like and like the mace like sauron's mace is very light it's made of polystone or whatever and we're leaving the room, and I'm, like, going to the next place, and I said, okay, I, I'm sorry, I just have to go back. Like, I have to go back. Like, it was the coolest thing. Like, all the actual prop swords from the movie that the actors used. Like, I just, I bathed in that. It was awesome. So, you know, it, it, what, what it's actually like is, I don't know if you ever dated a girl who's an, an art student or been an art student, but it's a lot like an art school, like one of those big art school places. Like, you know, with all these different rooms that have all the different equipment, and then everybody sort of has their station in there. Sure. And that's really what it's like. It's like the the world's coolest art school. <laughs> and you know, you you mentioned that Andrew, like the practical stuff. I think of like digital effects are cool and stuff. They don't do much for me. I'm so in love with good practical effects. And and you talking yeah. about the actual physical swords is much more impressive than watching animators with you know whatever software they're using on a computer making Gollum's face or or, or whatever. Uh, I love yeah, the I mean, fact I... that you get to touch those. My buddy who works, I mean, it is cool. Like, you know, he got, he, he's first job in the industry was making the penguins for Batman Returns. And, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> those like you know, animatronic or something? Yeah, yeah, the animatronic ro- rocket launching penguins. Oh, that's so right? like, awesome. I mean, 
Yeah, and you know he got to wear the the pictures of him in the Iron Man suit, like from the the Mark the Mark One Iron Man suit, because he, <laughs> he knows all those guys. So they let him, and they know he knows how to like if they need someone to come in and he's visiting, like they know he's gonna wear it and help them solve problems with it. Nice. So he got to wear the suit, right? And and you know stuff like that. I mean, he just has the best job, and uh, he just got a bunch of money from uh, from uh, some foundation from the from Henson Foundation to do a to do a an art a cool a cool art project. So he's yeah he's a very cool guy. Um, anyway, so New Zealand, yeah, I like. Well, you know what? I was just my reasoning was it's it's a kind of country that I think I could be the king of that I wouldn't get assassinated. And uh, <laughs> they're very and, laid back. Those Kiwis. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty laid back. They're not, you know, they're not too murderous. And it's and it's got. Uh, if you visit the country, what's amazing, and you see it from Lord of the Rings too, is the range of, you know, it's got everything from some subtropical ah, sure. the north to, you know, they're the closest to the Antarctic at the south. So yeah, it's a pretty cool country for that. Uh, so, pro- I'm sorry, go ahead. It's somewhat provincial, so I think they'd be okay with having a king on some level as well. Well, also, I think a, a lot of people's instinct would say, "Hey, I'd want to be king of America," but I could not imagine the the problems you'd have to deal with. I, I would automatically go for like a, some smaller country. Who wants yeah. to be the king of some huge sprawling mess like America? No thanks. It, it's not, you know. I mean, I want some personal joy out of being. I mean, you know, yeah, I want to get some personal joy out. Of, I'm, I'm I'm very much about uh, quality of life. So you know, if I have to be a king, I want somewhere where it's gonna I'm gonna have a decent quality of life for being. That's a good thing. So real quick, you're uh, you talking about handling the the swords from Lord of the Rings. My uh-huh. counterpart to that story, and this just illustrates how you've got a much more awesome life than me. Here's the closest I have to that, and it's a really it's a poor second. So a friend of mine, uh, and I don't think I should name names just because I I think we weren't supposed to do what we did, but a uh-huh. friend of mine had a uh, for his bachelor party he had some movies screened for him at uh, at ILM at, at Skywalker Ranch. Uh-huh. by someone who works at ILM. Uh, and so those of us who were invited got to go and watch these movies at the, the Skywalker Ranch screening room by someone who had some inside access. So we watched the movies there, and that was fine, whatever. But the guy who worked there said, hey, do you guys want to hold George Lucas's Academy Awards? So we got let into his office where he has these Academy Awards behind a, a glass. You know, it's in a locked case. And the guy uh-huh. unlocked the case, and I have held the Academy Awards won by George <laughs> Lucas. Which, first of all, I can't believe the guy won Academy Awards because he's a total hack. <laughs> Second of all, I, I just wanted to, he did not deserve these. I wanted to take them and not let him have them. <laughs> so. you know, if they get destroyed, I think they'll replace them. But uh... <laughs> I would have much rather touched the swords from Lord of the Rings. You got a far better deal than me, Andrew. Yeah, it's still, it's cool. I mean, it is fun to have a touch of piece. My dad taught me that it's fun to touch a piece of history. Like, yeah. like uh, you know, it's, if you have the opportunity, you definitely should do it because you never know. You know, it's like as life goes on, you never know. Exactly. So, <laughs> my dad was on the Hindenburg uh, two weeks before it blew up as a child. So, oh, yeah, yeah. He was he's much. I mean, he's gone now, but he was he's he's he was he's older when he had me. Man, well, that, uh, that trumps uh, both of both our of stories. <laughs> it does, That's yeah. Nice. You could buy tickets and go, and like they let you take a tour. And he was able to, when it was when he was a kid in Germany, he was able to take a tour. So there you go. Touch, My, touch history when touch. That's the that's the moral of today's episode. Touch history when you can. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. My so here here's my. This is what reminds me there, and I think in this one I might. I don't know that I have you beat, but this I think rivals that story about being on the Hindenburg. My grandfather. Uh, was one of the soldiers who uh, went ashore at Normandy Beach. Oh, wow. And he got a, uh, he was killed shortly thereafter, but he got a, a bronze star and a purple heart. And I remember 
as a kid, my grandmother had those, just being fascinated by the medals and only later coming to appreciate the significance of the fact that he was one of the guys at Normandy Beach. Uh, that's that's crazy. Wow, he survived that, huh? And he and he survived that and then died. Uh, he died in France, but uh, was killed. I don't. You know what? I, I can't believe I don't know this. I, I don't know how he died. I'm assuming he was a casualty of a later battle, but uh, wow, yeah. oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. No, it's 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 uh, it is. I mean, yeah, it is amazing. I mean, and and. Yeah, you want to hear those stories for sure. I mean, I, you know, definitely, it's it's always interesting stuff. And and when you could, yeah. And that, and as a kid, like, I, I mean, this is a different conversation. But my parents used like I, whenever something would happen that was kind of scary or whatever, all my other friends' parents would be like, "Oh no, no, you can't go." My parents were like, "You got to go." And I'm like, "You got to be there. You got to go see it." <laughs> so they'd be sending me out into these dangerous moments because they're like, you know, go see history, go become a part. <laughs> They're wanting to put you in history. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, like well, I, I one of the ones I remember is the I lived in Connecticut and the and the and the and the, the Long Island Sound froze over. Like it froze. It was so cold. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I should go on the ice, you know, because in school they're always done. I'm like, oh, you should go out there. You have, you tell people you walked on the Long Island Sound. You know. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I did. Nice. See. So there you go. You were right. That was that was good. That was the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> All well, right, Andrew, we've thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate this. Uh, sure, thanks for having me on. It's, it's, I'll, I'll be interested to listen to it. It's always fun to hear. So I, it's always shocking to go back and hear my own voice. So now I'm going to say, um, can I throw um, some URLs for people real quick? Sure, sure, absolutely. Please do. As a matter of fact, yeah, I know you have a blog. Uh, so you plug whatever you like. I'd love for you. So to. there's three real, there's three things going on. One is, uh, one is uh, Andrew P. Mayer, which is sort of my writer's blog, general media, hoo-ha, the, whatever I want to write about that I write about some features, some ridiculous links and whatever. Uh, there's media shifters, which is the, um, social gaming blog. Mm-hmm. And, um, that is, uh, not as well tended as it should be. Cause I end up writing on inside social games a lot. And then the last one, which I haven't really talked about that much is darkportraits.com, And I am sort of experimenting with original fiction and writing short pieces. And it's not, I'm not quite sure what it's going to be yet. But it is me actually writing short pieces and fiction and original stuff. And right now I am writing uh, one, one short uh, flash fiction pieces under 1,000, you know, 1,200 words and under, uh, original fiction, one per week, A to Z. So, and oh, odd. is that and is the jalopy one J's? Is that jalopy what? is J, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And so... I'm I'm almost done with K and yeah I'm trying to do one a week and we'll and so far I've only missed one week so yeah if people want to come there I have this a small number of people there right now and I'd love people to come and comment and please and, and anyone who wants to come and comment and as long as it's a genuine comment I would love to have it because I'm finding that getting comments is the most difficult part of blogging right now and so I'd love people to come and and make their comments and leave their comments on the blog so that's I'm sorry dark portraits did you say yeah dark portraits wonderful okay. plural dot com Good. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you very much. Uh, and we'll, we'll be seeing you around uh, on the forum. Yep, you'll see me there. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.